Uh, one of the neatest things I think is that we're putting a whole weekend into just looking at relationships, all kinds of relationships, the relationship with us and God, with each other, and with uh, special guy-girl relationships. And it's worth it. It's so huge. It's so big. And we really need to make sure that God helps us. And he's, we're all in process. We're all being developed. And God's bringing us all along. And His goal is to bring us into maturity. So we're really good. We're really mature as, as we go through it. Uh, what did you guys think of this uh, little thing you did this morning on forgiveness through freedom? That sheet, those sheets. Uh, that's one of the another huge area in the area of relationships. So, anyways, let's just open in prayer and uh, we'll see where we go here. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the sleep last night, all the all the communication that went on last night. Just pray that you just continue to work in our lives. Open our minds to understand. Open our hearts to respond. Help us to see life the way you intended it to be, particularly in the area of relationships, particularly in the area of knowing you. And uh, just guide us as we go through some of these questions. Give us good answers. Give us some good thoughts here. In Christ's name, amen. thought I'd read one verse or a couple verses here. Start. Uh, this is a this is verses hopefully you've heard, but I've heard them over and over, and I thought you know these are probably really good verses in relationship to relate relationships. God says, "For I know the plans that I have for you," declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity, but to give you a future and a hope. How would you like to have that? A future and a hope concerning all the relationships you'll ever have. So then you will call upon me and come to me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me with, and find me when you search with me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Isn't that a great promise in Scripture? As we seek Him, He says He will be found, He will show up, He will give us answers, He will give us a, a, a great life. So anyways, we have lots of questions here. So uh, here's the panel, the distinguished panel. Ooh, panel. <laughs> maybe Aaron and Linda, and, and maybe I'll chip in here. I don't have these in any particular order. Um, well, this is kind of a silly one. Uh, will Nate be available anytime soon? <laughs> I don't like that one so much. Okay. Well, can't have that one. Chris, I told you we wouldn't read your question. Now some of these other questions here, you, know, you just have to take them in stride. Why is Leah Jensen single? I, I, I don't, I don't Leah, know. Leah, did you write that question? I don't know why. Yeah. Where are she ran away. Alright, alright, here, here we go. Here we go. Here's the first here's the first one. What is your opinion of dating versus courtship? Because, because you're a freshman. <laughs> I told you. By the time you're a junior. <laughs> okay, dating versus courtship. Uh, I think it's an issue of semantics more than anything. Uh, I think that 
you, you guys have all read Joshua Harris's, or no, you haven't all read it, but you've probably all heard of Joshua Harris's book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And uh, I think that uh, most of it is baloney. <laughs> it's totally baloney. And, uh, but I think that he had some good intentions in writing it, and I think that it boils down to semantics. I think what he's trying to say in that, which, is, which I would agree with, is that casual dating for no other reason than dating is stupid. Like, if I really don't intend to invest my life in this person, to treat them uh, in a way that, that would glorify God, to, to really serve them and to love them unconditionally, then I shouldn't, like, if I'm just dating just to date, if I'm just dating just to get something out of it, that's wrong. But, uh, and I think that, I think that the idea behind courtship is what I call dating. Like, when me and Aaron dated, uh, it was a year and a half before we got engaged, and uh, it was a great year and a half. We, we focused on serving each other, loving each other, encouraging each other to grow in our walks with God. That kind of dating was great. We went on a lot of dates. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and it really prepared us for marriage, I think. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that dating uh, in that sense is wrong. That's kind of like this courtship sense where it's really you know, doing the most you can to love that other person. Uh, whereas casual dating, just dating for the sake of dating, I think is kind of superficial. Okay, how can one strive for purity but not become legalistic, apparently in a guy-girl relationship? How can one strive for purity and not become legalistic, like make it a law? Okay, Pam? I think in anything that you do, um, you're supposed to do it all for the glory of God, right? And so in order to remain pure in your relationship, well, are you just trying to do legalistic things? Because the Bible talks about in Colossians 2.23 that every law that you set up for yourself basically has no value in keeping yourself from breaking those laws. So um, what you want to do is, in this relationship, do your most to glorify God in it. And that means remaining pure, because that is glorifying to God. So it's more of, I want to do this because I love God, not because I, you know, have to follow all these rules. And also, you have your own standards. The Bible doesn't say anything like, um, when you're dating, you can never kiss. There's no verse that says something like that. But you know how you're going to fall, right? Each of you guys knows your own limits. And I think that uh, as, as, you, as you have dating relationships, um, it's good to set up boundaries that are appropriate for you and that will protect you. I think that's very important and that will help you glorify God and love each other unconditionally. And uh, so I think that there can't be legalism in that. It has to be between you and God. Well, there's a good verse here. If uh, you want a good verse on it. Uh, Romans uh, 13. It says, uh, The night is almost gone, the day is at hand. Let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And he's really, you know, talking to Christians here. He says, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing, drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. And then it says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. I think that's a really smart thing to do. If it's like this guy who has, the illustration be, uh, the guy who uh, 
is an alcoholic and he puts uh, two cans of beer in his car and says, I'm just there to test myself to see if I can withstand not drinking. Well, that's, it's, not, it's not really trusting your flesh. It's, tr it's trusting your flesh to make the wrong move. Uh, just make no provision so that the flesh can't rule when you're weak. Uh, if you are having a relationship with some of the opposite sex and you go in somebody's bedroom and say, hey, let's lay down and take a nap together, that's really making provision for the flesh. You might say, we're never going to do anything, but you're setting it up. You're setting the environment. And, and then it's easy, to, it's easy to fall into that. So anyways, there's some good verses. While we're there, see now legalism is making rules for yourself. There are certain attitudes, though, and one of the attitudes should be, if you're a Christian, do I not only want to glorify God, do I want to please God in my behavior and what I'm doing? And, and also, um, uh, can I have the right kinds of attitudes? And there's a great statement by, by Jesus. Remember on the night he was being betrayed, he said that the, his disciples all were sleeping? Now, that's, a, that's something of the flesh, the way I'm sleeping. And he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many of you can say amen to that? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> weak. Well, don't just trust your weak flesh. I mean, set yourself in a position where, uh, where you can win and you can pray about it. Okay. Uh, another good verse for that is Galatians 5.16, which says, Flew by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So basically, putting Christ on the throne is the way to remain pure. Probably blow apart here. Uh, anyways, uh, the other the other thing. Uh, let's go to the next question. Next question. <laughs> How do you tell a person when they are hurting you without getting in an argument about it? You're hurting me. No, I'm not. Sure. <laughs> how do you how do you talk without stimulating an immediate argument? Um, one of the things that I think maybe you've heard before, but it's a whole thing of you statements versus I statements. Um, it's important to say, not that you hurt me, but this is how I feel when you do this. And um, making sure, again, that Christ is on the throne so that your spirit is one of, um, not of attack and antagonism, but love and a desire to make the relationship work instead of um, you know, throwing it away. But it's really important to maintain um, your own sense of um, personal value in this so that you're not giving it away and saying, well, this person's probably, I've done something that's made this person do this to me. Just say, this is what I feel like when you do that, and I would ask you not to do that, please. And um, if they refuse to respond to that, then you just need to walk away. Yeah, I think confrontation is... is a talent that you should each develop, and uh, it will make your relationship strong, and it will make them last. All my best friends, I've had times where I've had to confront them on something, they've done the same with me, and it makes a relationship honest and vulnerable and real. It's not just superficial, but you know, I know in my discussion group yesterday, or it's Mattel's discussion group, but I was in it, and I was talking about my friend Austin, who's challenged me multiple times on things, you know, and and I, I thank God that he's willing to do that because it helps me grow. And so I think that as you learn, 
to uh, confront uh, certain issues like that, it's really good. It'll really help you grow in that relationship. Uh, another important thing to remember in confrontation is never use the word always and never. <laughs> because if you say something like, you always do this or you never do this, then that all immediately sets it up for a confrontation. So be careful of those little words <coughs> are deadly, I guess you could say. Okay, next question. <clears throat> I know feelings shouldn't um, dictate a relationship or the direction it takes, but what role do they play? Like, what role do feelings play in a relationship? Wait, wait what was that question again? <clears throat> okay, I, I know feelings shouldn't dictate a relationship or the direction it takes, but what role do they play? <coughs> feelings. <laughs> I just like to talk. Uh, you guys have heard it say, said that uh, you should never feel your way into acting, but act your way into feeling. <clears throat> and so that's kind of, I think, a really good way to think about it. Uh, you don't act because you feel a certain way. But when we act the right way, it produces good, the right kind of feelings. Uh, honestly, I didn't want to just date any girl that I had feelings for because... There were a lot of different girls that I had feelings for, and a lot of them probably weren't good girls to date. Uh, but when I when I met Erin, I really considered a lot of her character and qualities and all stuff. We were friends for a year before we dated, and I really got a good chance to see her. And I made a decision after a lot of prayer and fasting, this is the right girl to date. And uh, after that, there were great feelings, and there are great feelings now as her husband. Um, but those feelings are based on something a lot deeper than just like physical attraction. That's there, but then there are many more levels of feelings that are there too. So I think actually if you if you put feelings in the right perspective, you get a lot more out of them. They, you get a lot more feelings, so to say, than if they're just superficial. Does that make sense? If, if feelings are put in their proper context, they will be a lot more exciting than if they're just based on something very superficial. So. So guard your feelings, guard your emotions. Uh, you might feel certain ways about people that you shouldn't feel that way about. So stop yourself. <laughs> you can do it. You, I mean, Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says that you can control your feelings. So um, control the feelings that aren't supposed to be there. Protect your feelings. And when they're in the right context, you'll probably have feelings that you never imagined possible. I'll just say quickly, what our culture says is that well, how, what you feel is what is true. And that's always a lie. I wouldn't, always, I would not buy into that at all. Uh, <clears throat> your feelings can be easily manipulated by circumstances, by all kinds of things. So be careful with them. Um, uh, feelings are kind of like uh, uh, neat sparkly things, you might say, that come along in our life. And I think if you didn't have feelings, you'd be a pretty dead person. And, and I'm very alive. It's, feelings really fit with personality and a lot of things like that. But to let them control your life and to think that it's the absolute truth because you feel an attraction for somebody or something like that can really get you into a lot of troubles. Uh, we don't have time, but I can tell you many stories of people who have done that and suffered a lot. Here's another question. How do you show brotherly love without... 
without a friend feeling awkward. Oh, without a friend feeling awkward. Okay, so how do you show brotherly love without a friend feeling awkward? Okay? Is that a guy asking a girl, like, type question? Probably. Go for it. Okay. <laughs> I think just being a friend of that person is showing brotherly love to him, right? Um, a lot of times, guys, you can ask girls if they want to go do something, and the girl won't take it the wrong way. But if you do other things, like touch them or uh, flirt with them, it might be very awkward for the girl. So that definitely isn't showing brotherly love to them. But treating them as you would a normal friend, serving them, um, you know, and if the girl feels awkward, she'll run away from you. So. Then <laughs> 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 you'll know. Then you'll know that we're going to do that. <laughs> but the Bible does tell us to serve one another in love and to be humble to one another and um, consider one another better than each other, mm-hmm. than yourself. So that is how you show brotherly love to your sisters in Christ and girls to your brothers in Christ. Okay. Um. <coughs> okay. Uh, oh, this is a serious question. I don't know if our panel can even answer this one. What if I still have cooties after college? <laughs> that is not Gary, my, that's Gary. not my question. <laughs> you end up like me. <laughs> okay. How can I accept how can I accept the gift of singlehood after college? That's not my question. I think uh, one of my favorite verses is Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And it talks about focusing our eyes on, keeping our eyes on Christ, because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And I think that the way we can accept our singleness, if we are single, um, is to focus on Christ. And trust that he has your best interest at heart. And because a lot of times if we're not accepting our singleness at the time, it's because we're not trusting God with our lives. Um, the question was, how do we accept the gift of singleness after college? Okay, so I think in our minds, like college is like a deadline. <laughs> It's like, if I'm not married by the time I'm out of college, my life is over. But, like, it's it's not. It's like, don't think of that as a line in your life. Like, God is still um, teaching me and growing me. In my life, like, God is still growing me in huge ways, and He's presenting me with some pretty cool opportunities. So if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to graduate and not be married, don't freak out. I know I joke a lot about being old, but it really is a gift just to be able to grow closer to God and continue in that. And so he is still teaching me, and I might get to go to Phoenix, and that'd be cool. Uh, uh, questions. Remember, we, we read this verse just before we started. It says God has a hope. He has a future. He wants us to have a great welfare, uh, good relationships. Well, that's, that's a promise. That's his intention. Here's another one that I really like when you talk about stuff like this. It's in Psalms 37, and it gives you some things to do. And uh, a lot of times we have things to think, but things to do. Here's one. 
It says, trust in the Lord for even that, and do good. Dwell on the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And there's a period after that statement. In other words, it's a promise. I would really, really take in your prayer life, go back to some of these promises and say, Lord, uh, I'm your first in my life. Guide me, direct me, direct the desires of my heart. Give me the desires of my heart. Show me what my desires are. Then it says afterward, next verse, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He will do it. And there's another period. It's a promise that He will show up. And I think if we're sincere and serious about this, and ask Christ to we've given our life to Him, it's not, it's not like, it's like, well, He's going to do everything he, he can to just fulfill our life. So I would really go back to the Scripture and trust with it, and uh, see if... Uh, those cooties might leave. Maybe might be replaced. Okay. It's 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 not very good. Handwriting or question? Okay, here we go. How is it possible to have the right kind of agape love with non-Christians? Okay, people that are not Christians yet, or maybe never will be. How can you have agape love? How is it possible? Okay. Ooh, that's the, that's the whole point of agape love, is it's not conditional upon anything, you know? And whether somebody... It believes the same as I do, whether they act the same as I do. See, I can have agape love for my worst enemy. You know what I mean? And uh, that, that's what God's calls to. That's what's so significant about Christ is I can't do that in my own strength. But God in me can do that. So I think you can have agape love for anyone. What? I want I'd love to feel that. I think it'll be good. Okay, here's one that's going to be embarrassing. Somebody wrote it. <clears throat> but it says, Is the first time as amazing as they say? Okay. Uh, <laughs> bottom line is no way. I don't think so. Uh, and that's the whole point of sex. Sex, I think God designed it to be progressive in marriage. And uh, so it's worth waiting for. The first time, uh, being completely honest, uh, wasn't that great for us. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But it got better, and it got better, and it got better, and it still is getting better. And that's what's so cool, is, uh, is it's, it's an adventure, and, it's, and it's, you have an entire lifetime. And I think that's why sex and marriage is so exciting, is it just gets better and better and better and better. Uh, see, if, if, you, if it's just in a casual dating relationship, it's like, I don't know, you'll get so far in a sexual relationship with somebody, and then you're off to somebody new. And you're off to somebody new, and you're off to somebody new. And both partners are in it more for their own enjoyment. That's what the whole focus of our entire society's dating relationships are. You gotta have it because it's amazing, right? That's what people tell you. You gotta experience it. It's amazing. Now, in marriage, you're learning to serve each other. So I, I want I want you guys to get this right. Imagine you guys that for for 50 or 60 years, your wife is learning how to please you more in sex. It just stands to reason that it's going to get better every single time. 
It's just like anything you do that often, you know? Practice makes perfect, so to say. Uh, and the same thing for you women. Uh, the longer you're married, your husband, if he truly loves you, which I hope you'll each find, he's going to learn how to please you more and more and more and more in sex. So I think the first time is kind of like, it's not that big a deal. But in marriage, over time, it grows. That's the beauty of sex and marriage, is that it's progressive. Whereas outside, it's, it's not progressive. It's very uh, event-based. There's a lot of hurt. Uh, it's switching back and forth. You have selfish people trying to get pleased themselves, so they're not focusing on another person, so nobody really gets pleased. And uh, it's really sad. We, we sat in the snack... I've eaten in, in the cafeteria one time in the last eight years, okay? One time I've eaten in, in the main cafeteria on campus. That one time, and I don't think this is coincidental, the people sitting next to us, their entire conversation was about sex. And it's a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and the girlfriend, the girl's friend. And the girl's talking to her friend about how poorly her boyfriend performed in sex. For, for like 45 minutes. He can't do anything, blah, blah, blah. And this guy is just sitting there. Was he there? He was right there, just like staring at the plate. I, I, my heart was just breaking for this kid, you know? I'm like, she has this horrible impression of sex. He has this horrible impression of sex. The, the other girl has this horrible impression of sex. Anybody who happens to be hearing them has this horrible impression of sex. This is sad. That's not how God designed it. That's what happens when we try to do it our way. God designed this to be awesome, exciting, exhilarating. But uh, it doesn't just happen overnight. And that's, that's another thing I'd say. When you do get married, don't expect it to be 100% right off the bat. It's, it's awesome. You get to work at this for the rest of your lives. And it's, and it's exciting stuff. I was going to say real quickly... Um, we knew, Lynn and I uh, worked with a really neat Christian woman uh, in Michigan years and years and years ago who was the uh, fraternity slut in college. She went to bed with every Tom, Dick, and Harry she could, and she was a beautiful woman. And then she became a Christian. Then she found the man she wanted to marry. And we knew him too, and they worked right up the road from us. And uh, <clears throat> she confided in us over and over of how she had the hardest time having sex, simply because she thought of all these other guys during the very sex act she had with her husband. So she talked to her husband about it. He didn't care at all. He was not even bothered by this at all. But it tormented her to no end. So uh, it's really just interesting to see how even, even a Christian, as a committed Christian, you still have these incredible memories. So the best sex, you guys, is when you have no memories except the one you married and you're involved with. And, and, and just for any of you guys that have that past, it doesn't have to be that way, too. I have, I have very close friends that have both he and her have lots of sex in their backgrounds, and they, 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 they're married now, and they have a great marriage, great sex life, and uh, they're very open about it and they've experienced God's complete healing of that past. So if you do have that in, in your past, God can completely restore you. Um, it's what we would call secondary virginity, and, and it's totally cool. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like God can restore you and make you complete right now. Okay, next question. How can you know if you've met the right person? How can you know if you've met the right person? I mean, the 
second you saw me, can you remember? <laughs> That's right, it was love at first sight to make nine. Well, <laughs> Aaron took some convincing. <laughs> he had to pay me. He paid me off. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, like, <laughs> like with any determining God's will for anything, um, one thing that you need to do is focus on Christ first. Like, he needs to be on the throne continually, right? Uh, and it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 that, um, you know, if we put him first, he will direct our paths, right? So it's one step is walking by faith. Another thing is God gives us wisdom, so he expects us to use our brain. Um, so uh, Nate and I, our philosophy on it is there's no one right person, it's becoming the right person, right? It's being wise and making a decision, Um so another thing you want to do is get the counsel of others because, like Nate was talking about last night, this is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. Um, and so be wise about it. You know, just don't think that this is the right person because I feel all these great feelings for him because his feelings aren't going to last. So, I think make the best decision you can evaluating the complete person that you're considering dating. Pray about it. Seek God about it. Seek other people about it. Uh, you know, there, there are guys in this room that have come to me and said, hey, I like this girl. What do you think about that? Do you think she's the right kind of girl for me? And we'll talk about it. Uh, make a good decision. Think through things that are important in, in that qualities that you'd like to see in a future wife. Uh, for me, I know that I'm very analytical. I knew that if I married a woman that was, what, 90% emotional, I would, I would, it would be hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would just about die because I, I cannot... I'd had friends like that before, and we argued all the time because we couldn't see eye to eye. Uh, so that was the thing that was important for me. I, I found that was, you know, Aaron was really stable emotionally, and that was, to me, a very high importance. Not to say that all you girls have to be that way, because some guys are a lot different than me. But, so I, what I'm saying is look for things that you know are important for you. But remember, the majority is becoming the right person. Have that attitude. Anyone you end up marrying... It's not like, I, I hope I married the right person so that we don't get a divorce. That's the wrong thing to think. It's like, I'm marrying this person and it's going to work. We're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And so, think more along the lines of becoming the right person than finding the right person. Okay, next question here. How can I get one of these relationships? Mail order brides. Man, what a I think, I think, honestly, that's a good question. I would pray. I seriously go back to God and pray. Just keep praying and keep it before God in prayer. And <clears throat> ask God to bring you a godly person to marry. I think, I think it, it, when you think of Linda and I, when I think of our, of our um, marriage and what I think is the foundational best part of it, it's who's on the throne. Seriously, if I have love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, goodness, and self-discipline coming out of my life because of what Christ is doing, what the Holy Spirit's doing, and she has the same, it goes a long, long, long way to solving problems and to being a team. So I would just pray. I mean, that's my answer. What would you guys say? Here, I got this great verse. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7... 
through 11. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, as human beings, we're not good like God is, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So God has a good mate for you. One that's better than you could ever pick for yourself. A friend of mine put it this way. He goes, it's funny, you look at countries where they have arranged marriages, and they have like zero divorce rates. <laughs> and you look at our country where we get to pick, because we're so intelligent, and it's like half of the marriages fail. Uh, so he, he said, I came to the conclusion, I want God to arrange my marriage. He's my father, he knows what's best for me, so I'm just going to let him arrange it for me. And that was a cool concept, let God arrange your marriage. And uh, he will. And... Uh, in, in James, it says he, that he is the giver of all good gifts. So trust God with that. And, and I'll put it this way, too. If God's given you the gift of singleness, um, then probably you're going to be pretty happy with that gift as far as long term. If you desire a wife, uh, I think you can probably trust that God has made you the kind of person that he wants to give a wife to. Uh, so trust him with it. Trust him with it. Or a husband, if you're a girl. Trust him with it, and... Uh, do it. This is for the girls. Uh, I know a lot of girls who have very low self-esteem, and they think they um, aren't worth a guy um, that is a good man, and so they settle for less, thinking that um, that they aren't, they don't deserve any better. And girls don't do that. Have respect for yourself. You are children of God, so you deserve the best. So. Okay. Okay. Here's a. Kind of a, a several part question. It seems like interracial relationships are more and more becoming the norm. Here's the first question about with that in respect to that, particularly between black men and white women. Is there some sort of spiritual affinity? What do you think about that? I think that a human being is a human being, <laughs> and uh, and. You know, the the color of their skin, I don't think it's it's it makes it better or worse. It, a human being is a human being, you know, and whoever you decide to spend the rest of your life with, whatever color of skin they happen to have, it can be an awesome relationship till the day you die. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say yesterday we had didn't even believe it was you, and you're talking about something like that, like there's no Greek and no Roman. So, and no slave or free, no, and so there's, he says in the Bible that there's like no racism or anything like that, so I don't think it should really matter. You're right. Good observation there. Uh, there is no such verse that says white people only marry white people, black people only marry black people, and etc. It doesn't say anything of that. Okay, here's the, the last part of the question. Respecting the very real differences in culture, let's say between different, maybe uh, American subcultures here, as well as the social conditions that are imposed on society, what advice would you offer those who opt to date outside mm -hmm. of their culture? In other words, <clears throat> is there differences within the cultures that make it harder for, for dating or 
what would you say? What kind of advice uh, in, in this kind of line? I think uh, one thing that we have to take consideration is that when you marry, you marry the person's family. And so you want to marry a person whose family that you can get along with. And sometimes that is not always the case, but it definitely makes for a healthy relationship. Um, it puts a lot of strain on your marriage if the parents are not very happy with you or don't like you very much. Um, but at the same time, um, like if you look at each family is different, and they're going to come into a marriage with different expectations, right? So it doesn't really matter what culture you're from. Each person is very unique and very different. Like, you know, a lot of marriages that Nate and I know very well um, have different, cult, like, have people from different cultural, different, you know, and they have a great marriage, like Nate's dad and his new stepmom. She's from Korea, and his dad obviously is from Missouri, and they have a great marriage. So I don't think the cultural differences um, pose that much of a problem. It's just people's expectations of each other can be the issue. I'd also say, uh, in that case, that normal things always are true. If you have a problem, and the problem come, arises out of differences in culture, do you just stuff it, or do you talk about it? If you stuff it, yeah, I think there will be problems. If you're willing to talk about it and address it, and also the issue of why do people get married? Isn't it to serve one another? Isn't it to glorify Christ? I mean, if you have those kinds of things as a basis... Uh, then there is a lot of power and a lot of ability to work out a lot of probably potential problems that could arise. In the Old Testament, the only time that um, you know, God often told the Israelites they were not to marry outside of their culture, but it was because they were not embracing the same God. So again, it comes back to your relationship with Christ. Okay, okay here's another delightful sex question. If you... <laughs> I knew I'd get your attention. <laughs> if you want to live a sex... Free. Okay. If you want to live a sex-free life, but you've already had sex, how do you do it? How do you effectively set limits? How do you resist temptation? That's a really good one. How do you fight the sexual... Um, Expectations of our society. That's a really good question. Okay. Uh, I think I think it boils down to a huge, huge, huge deal, and that's keeping your eyes on Christ. Uh, I was talking with one of you guys last night, saying that in any kind of sin, the harder you try to stop doing that sin, the more you're going to do it. It's bottom line rule. That's biblical. Paul talked about that in Romans 7. It says, the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, that's what I keep on doing. The harder, and maybe, maybe you guys realize this. It's like the harder I try not to do something, I end up doing it. And then I feel like just a creep because I keep on doing it. Whereas if I simply will focus on Christ, he transforms me from the inside out. So he produces this change from the inside out. So I'd say step number one is just... Focus on Christ and don't even worry about the other thing necessarily. Like just try to forget it's even there. Just focus on Christ. Second of all, I think you know your you know your limits. So don't trust yourself, but try to set up um, try to set up boundaries that will help protect yourself. Right? 
Like, decide the kinds of people you're going to hang around with. Decide uh, what, how far you'll let yourself go. Like, I don't want to be alone in a room with a person of the opposite sex that I'm attracted to. Or, you know, you know. I can't tell you what your boundaries are, but you know your boundaries. So, set up in advance boundaries that will protect yourself. And then here's, here's a big one. When you fall, can take it to God and confess it. He says he completely cleanses you 100%. And, and your, your relationship with him is not affected when you sin. You're still his child. You're still going to heaven. Etc., etc., etc. But when you do sin, you can confess that to Christ and instantly you're cleansed of all unrighteousness. So, set up boundaries, confess when you fall, but ultimately and mainly, just keep your eyes on Christ. And I think that that will it'll start to change you from the inside out. And if you have had sex before, no matter how many times, and you want to, and now you're saying, I want to live until I get married, waiting for my future spouse, I, I'd say go for it. It's, it's great. And God will restore you, He'll heal you, I believe. And I believe you can have as successful a sex life as anybody else when you get married. Um, because that's what God desires for you. Um, so, go for it. Uh, I do have a verse here. Uh, there is, this Nate talked about a little bit, but it says uh, in Romans 12, 2, I'm really, really 12, 1 and 2, it says, uh, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, you know, and relate that to sexuality. Relate your sexualness, your body, to God. I mean, commit it to God. Uh, it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which you, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And I think the renewing of your mind is the key point here. If you think about lust and things like this, and you're always putting it in front of yourself, there's a good chance you're not going to do well in the area of temptation. Um, so uh, there are some things that, that maybe uh, you could work on. For example, if, uh, <clears throat> if you're a guy and you're checking out pornography of you know, naked women, I think you might have a problem fighting temptation. Uh, there's, and also there's, I've heard this and I've discussed this with people, if you have a real problem in any area of your flesh, it's good just to pray and fast about it. Actually, just shut down eating and say, look, I need to focus on this and not let my flesh just always uh, overpower me. Uh, also, there's an area of where you can get a partner, a friend, who can hold you kind of accountable. Like, how are you doing in a sexual area? What are you saying? What are you doing? Um, those kinds of things. Those can, can also be helpful. Um, I've always heard uh, garbage in, garbage out. Uh, beauty in, beauty out. It's what goes into our mind affects us. And we've mentioned fasting several times this weekend in various contexts. Uh, if you want any more info, just come talk to us. And uh, we can tell you all about that. Okay, fine manipulation of the opposite sex. Like, am I being manipulating if I like to go out and dance knowing that it's sexual? Uh, for guys, yeah. <laughs> I'll just say that. If some girl is like showing off her body, it's uh, it turns guy on. Bottom line, uh, I, I know that that we had a birthday party for one of the students in our group like three years ago or something like that, and they did this karaoke thing, 
And one of these girls that was kind of involved, but not really, and she was really attractive, had a great body and all that stuff, she, she like, gets up singing a song, and, and it's really provocative. It's like this, I don't know, Britney Spears song or something. And she's like, I left the room. I was like, I've got to just leave, dude. I'm not even going to sit here and watch this. This is crazy. And uh, I, I think for her, she was just having fun, thinking, oh, I'm just going to have fun with this song. But I know for every guy in that room, it, it was very sexually uh, provocative. So I, I guess uh, manipulation is, golly, I think you could define it as anything I do that gets somebody else to act a certain way or that I want. You know what I mean? Like, if I want this girl to do something, I'll, like for me in that relationship, I would say, I love you, you're beautiful. And, and I knew that she needed that security, and I knew that if I said that, she would fall in love with me. And she did. That was manipulation. Even though I wasn't going and doing some horribly wrong thing to her, but I knew it was manipulation. You know? Whereas to Aaron, it's not manipulation. We're in this relationship. When I tell her those things, it's constructive. It builds her up. So, um, I think I think that manipulation. There's a fine line, and and you you kind of know what it is. Does that make sense? And for you girls, it's more than you think. It, it, it's guys' imaginations. Um, are, I've never met a, a woman that understands how guys think. And uh, for guys, I mean, you hear all the stats, and I'm sure I hope this these aren't about <laughs> most Christian guys, but they say guys think about sex like every 30 seconds or something ridiculous like that. I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> but any attractive girl walks in the room, the guy's noticed her. Any, I mean, you, any girl wears some revealing clothing, the guy's notice it. Uh, it it's just like, so, so protect the guys around you. And uh, it, basically, if you're wearing provocative clothing, it is manipulative. I don't want to be legalistic. Like, you have to have freedom. But for yourself, think of it this way. Do you want a guy mentally undressing you? And that, that, that's like a, a real deal. Most, I know I had to share that. There was this one girl that, it was kind of weird. Anyway, I won't get into details. But I had to tell her once, um, like, guys will mentally undress you when you dress like that. And I said, I'm not going to tell you how to dress, but are you comfortable with that? Are you comfortable with guys, like, thinking that way about you? And she, she said, no, definitely not. So, it's just how guys are built, I think. I heard this funny show just for people that like to uh, dress up like that. There's this quote from Dave Chappelle. Uh, <laughs> uh -oh. he, says, he says that he goes up to this girl, you know, and like, she's dressed up like a slut, and he's talking to her, and she's like, oh, just because I dress like a slut doesn't mean I am one, and... He's like, that's retarded. That's like me dressing up like a cop and somebody's harassing you. And you run, you run up and you ask me, hey, hey, some guy's harassing me. Can you save me? And I just say, hey, just because I dress like a cop doesn't mean I am one. I just had a cute, a cute thing to say. Uh, you can, you can, guys, you can manipulate women. Isn't that the story of our culture and the world? Is women getting manipulated because of their emotional makeup and guys thinking they're cool and all this kind of stuff. The Hollywood scene, I mean, you've seen it over and over in the bars. If you've ever been to a bar, ever been in a snack bar even, you, you see this kind of stuff. But I want to tell you one thing. Once you get married, you can never manipulate your wife. 
She sees right through you every time. <laughs> that is true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Pull anything over on Linda. I don't even try. <laughs> and when you get married, all that stuff is really fun. I mean, like, honestly, like, as you, as you are careful not to be manipulative now, uh, in, like, how you dress and things like that, when you get married, it's great. So, just, just, Kind of think of it as you're saving it for something awesome. Like drive your, if you're a woman, drive your husband crazy when you get married. You know what I mean? Uh, it's it's a lot to look forward to, and it'll make your marriage awesome. Okay, here's a good, here's another good, very practical question. How far is too far? Okay, here you go. How far is too far in a dating relationship? Of course. Of course. Oh, of course, back it up biblically. Is there anything in the Bible that talks about how far how how far is too far? How far is too far to go with a girl or a guy? <coughs> Sexually, I mean, whatever. Okay. I have a really good analogy for it before we back it up biblically. Um, for a girl, never do to a guy what you would want another girl what you wouldn't want another girl to do to your future husband. And for guys, never do to a girl what you wouldn't want some other guy to do to your future wife. So, Andrew, here's here's the main verse to back it up. There are a lot of verses in the Bible about sexuality and all stuff like that. Ephesians five three says, "Don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you." Talking to Christians, so that's that's a big standard. That's hard to. What would a hint be? Uh, Laying together in bed, even though we're not having sex, that's a big-time hint of sexual immorality. Um, not to say that it happened, but it's it's crossing a, a biblical line. Uh, there are a lot of biblical lines like that to, that encourage us to avoid uh, sexual immorality. Uh, sensuality is a big one. Sensuality is anything that, whatever you do to gratify your senses. So... Uh, that can be even making out. I'm going to get pleasure from making out or whatever by gratifying my senses. The Bible calls that sensuality. It says that's wrong. You can read about that. And if you want verses, that first one is Ephesians 5.3. Uh, you can read about it in 1 Corinthians 6. You can read about Romans 12. You can read about it in uh, Romans 13. You can, it's, it's everywhere. <laughs> Pretty much any, any book in the New Testament, you'll find something on it. Uh, Hebrews 13, uh, 5. Talks about keeping the marriage bed pure, not defiling it. Uh, you can go on and on. So I think the idea, though, for you is um, your boundaries have to be your boundaries. I can't tell you what your boundaries are. That would be legalism. If I say you can never hold hands before you get married, that's legalism. If I say you could never kiss before you get married, that's legalism. You have to know, though, when is it becoming something that's going to make me fall? When is it becoming something that's going to make somebody else fall? When is it going to be something that's going to make my brothers or sisters fall, right? What if, what if, uh, what if somebody saw me doing something that they perceived as improper? Well, that, that could be a stumbling block to them. The Bible tells me not to be a stumbling block for my brothers. So find out your own boundaries uh, and make sure that they abide by those sexual immorality and sensuality and all those types of verses. But find your own boundaries. And I, I think that... Um, there are definite too fars. God definitely designed us not to um, have sex before marriage because he said that that's the way that it's most exciting and awesome for us is if we wait. And uh, I think in line with that, don't do things that 
are reserved for sex, like undressing each other and uh, everybody and like uh, grabbing and, and I don't know, y you guys know what, I think we all know in our mind what too far is and uh, and just think of it this way, like as I, whenever I choose to go too far, knowing it's too far, I'm consciously choosing to hurt my future husband or my future wife and uh, just for some something right now. So, so don't don't make those kinds of decisions. Try to try to protect your future marriage. Uh, one of the things we talked about of all good relationships, they have to have security. Remember that trust, and another one's respect. One of the things that you often hear of is when somebody goes too far, there is the disrespect head that just rises up, and the woman feels she's been manipulated, she's been disrespected. And or the guy does one or the other, and when you harm respect, it harms it harms a lot for a long time. Okay, I would say that. But in terms of biblically, let me just read you some other verses here. Uh, Nate's hit a, a whole bunch of them, but here's here's what it says: First uh, Corinthians six. It just says, "Flee immorality." Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins, sins against his own body, and I wrote down AIDS, uh, STDs, my conscience, uh, my memory, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, this is a big deal, who is in you whom you have from God so that you are not your own. In other words, your body belongs to God, not necessarily to you. He's given you the, the right to be the steward of it, to, to run it. Then it goes on and says, uh, for you've been bought with the price. And that was the price of Christ's blood. Therefore, glorify God in your body. And that's, it just takes some thinking and some meditating. How do I glorify God in my body? I wrote down sexually, the sexual area, but how about exercise? How about eating the right food? How about what I drink? How do I dress? I mean, all these things that affect the body should be glorifying to Him. And then there is this one verse. And this is about a too far verse. It says, Now concerning the things which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. First time I read that, I'm like, geez, you can't even touch her. I mean, you can't even, I mean, don't even get your, touch her, don't hold her hands. Okay, is that what that means? But in the Greek, it means not to stir up a woman's passions. Okay, <clears throat> so what, you, what stirs up a woman's passions? And it's, you might be able to get away with a kiss or two, but if you start fondling her breasts, boy, her passions are going to go through the roof. Uh, those are things, guys, that we're responsible for. And God's going to hold us accountable for. So be careful. And what that does, it creates disrespect, or it hurts the security that a woman really needs in a relationship. And uh, if she feels she's being used, uh, you guys... <laughs> It's, it's not the way to go about it. That's how the world does it. Uh, all these things, and I've I got to tell you this, a lot, of my, a lot of people I've talked to said, you know, Russ, I've got to try this woman out before I marry her. Uh, you know, marriage is so bad these days, you know, at least 50% 50, 50 get divorced, so I'm going to shack up and live with this girl, and we're just going to have sex and everything. I'm going to try her out, and she can try me out. And then uh, we will find out if we're really meant for each other. Talk about manipulation. Talk about being lied to. You know, when you get married, let's say you've never had sex, and you get married, you wonder, well, can I do it? 
can I really be married? Can I be healthy? Can my wife be healthy? We've never tried each other out. I just want to say, she, she will be your best teacher. Uh, God, women, he will be your best teacher. It's so pure. The purity issue is so unbelievably right and good. And you will probably, believe this or not, you'll probably have a far maximum sex life than anybody that's tried people out before. It's so the way God has made it. So anyways, I want to just say that there is a verse, and it's a, it's a big responsibility for us guys. We're the initiators, you know, that's how God made us. And women are responders in, in much more of a, uh, that sense. And so if we initiate something that propels a woman forward when, she, when really she shouldn't be doing that, uh, we're, we're going to have to answer someday for God, to God, I think, on those things. And also come back and hurt us. So okay. hopefully, hopefully that... You want? Yeah, one more. Also, the more physically you are in a dating relationship, uh, the less you're going to communicate, the less you're going to mm-hmm. know this person well. Because that is what your whole relationship will be based around, and not around who that person really is. I think that is why God told us to wait for sex till marriage. Because it forces you to have a foundation of communication, of uh, understanding of all these quality things. And marriage requires those things. And a lot of people, it's just sex, 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 and they get married. And they're like, we don't even know how to talk. I don't even know what she likes. You know, We don't even know how to resolve conflict. I, I know so many couples that um, they have a conflict. All they do is go have sex. Like They're not married yet. Well, then they get married. They don't have an idea how to resolve conflict. So see, I think God's designed this courtship or dating period of time to learn those marriage fundamentals without the distraction of the physical so that in marriage, the physical can be awesome. It's not just like, well, we had a fight, so let's go make up. That's, that's, so, that's a cheap... That's, that's marriage, I mean, sex is supposed to be way better than that. And as far as cohabitation, I want to hit this. A lot of people say, we want to live together because so many people are getting divorced. And I think the statistics are that only 15 or 16 people that live together first end up getting married. So uh, even if you just get married right off the bat, your your chances are 50-50. If you cohabitate, your chances are 15% of being able to live with this person for the rest of your life. So cohabitation, it, it really is a lie. Living together before marriage, it doesn't work. It, it produces a lot more unsuccessful relationships than marriage ever does. And And... That's just, that's, it just doesn't work. And you, like Russ said, you're compatible with anyone. <laughs> Russ told us that before we got married. He said, everyone's pretty much compatible with everyone. So, don't, in a sexual way, don't worry about that too much. Okay, here's another one. Should you talk about marriage while you are dating? should be the ultimate goal. Like, you don't want to just date to date, but, you know, whoever you date, you're going to end up marrying. So, one thing you need to do is, guys, when you start going in that direction for a girl, that's, like, pretty exciting, and then that's all they can think about, and they've already got their wedding planned. So that's why you got to be very careful and set boundaries and be like, you know, we need to establish our relationship. Um, 
So that way, if it does come like six months down the road, where we find out there's some big red flags in, in this relationship and we need to break up, that way my heart isn't so set on getting married that it's like even more destroyed than it should be. So I think that uh, when the time comes to talk about marriage, it needs to be at a time that's most wise. So Nate and I didn't start talking about marriage until what? About we made a decision. Yeah, we made a decision that the word, the M word wouldn't come up until about a year into our dating relationship. Six months, I think. We're six months to a year. We said, but we didn't talk about it. Yeah. Because we were more concerned with getting to know one another and learning how to communicate and learning how to think wisely and think logically. So. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I knew a guy, a Christian couple, and this guy was an older guy. He was like about 30 and he found the woman of his dreams and she was really a neat person everything and he was dating her and he'd come to me and say Russ I just gotta marry her I just gotta marry her sooner the better but she was gonna go to grad school so she's telling one day and I thought it was really mature of this woman she said I really like you I love being with you but don't ask me to marry you she just it was her boundary she's just laid it out and and uh, it just about killed this guy but you know what? They have the greatest marriage going. They have four kids today. Just the neatest thing possible. But she wasn't ready to get married, and she was mature enough to see it. So I would I'd be careful just to evaluate your own. Here's another wonderful question: Why is Jackie Jones a southpaw? It has to do with genetics. Yes. Uh, okay, here's here's something more about sex. Um, we talked a little bit about already kissing, touching. Uh, I just want to throw out oral sex. I'm not. It's in the card here. Uh, uh, you want to take that one? Yeah. What's the question exactly? The question is: um, So you are supposed to wait to have sex till marriage. What about kissing, touching, and oral sex? And we covered most of it. But do you want to discuss oral sex? I think, think of it as the spirit rather than the letter of the law. Like, uh, you're talking about your future, for, for you for you women, you're talking about your future husband, for you guys, you're talking about your future wife. Uh, would you be perfectly comfortable? Like, right, this sounds weird, but if I told Aaron, hey, I'm gonna, you know, go have oral sex with somebody, is that okay with you? That would not be okay, <laughs> okay? It's not gonna work in our marriage. Uh, so why in the world would I do it now? I mean, it's it's not something that, that my future, like if I'm single, it's not something my future wife is gonna be okay with. And even if you are engaged, or even if you're preparing, or thinking you're gonna get married, all that stuff is just gonna start your engines. And I, I pretty much bet you, if, if it's getting to oral sex, Probably within a few days or a week, it's getting all the way, and uh, and and honestly, like trust God with it, and and make the boundaries in a way that is going to benefit you, uh, which means you're going to have a, a successful sex life in the future. Think of think of it in those terms. I think if you think in your mind, I know when I was waiting to get married, I didn't have sex uh, or oral sex or anything like that before I got married. Uh, it wasn't easy. It wasn't because I didn't have the opportunity. Multiple times a girl said, hey, I want to have sex with you. Two different times that happened. <laughs> and for a guy, like, I, I had made my convictions, but honestly, I was like, <laughs> One of these girls was a girl that I had a 
huge crush on for like three years, and it just about killed me. Like literally, I said, I said, no, I'm waiting for my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like as soon as I got home, I'm like, oh my gosh, did I blow that? Should I have said yes? <laughs> like it was so hard to say no. And uh, thank God, I w- I look back now, and I am like. I'm so glad I waited for Aaron. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm, what I want to encourage you to do is don't think of it as in terms of how far can I go before it's wrong, but think of it in terms of you're building the best foundation for an awesome sex life in the future. So build that foundation strong. 